like you to turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians. We say book, it's really a letter, right? Apostle Paul wrote a letter, and it was directed to a whole bunch of churches in a large region called Galatia. If you were looking at a map of Turkey, Galatia would be roughly the center region. Paul's first trip, he focused on the southern portion. And then uh, on his second trip, he was going through the middle and tried to go farther north, and the Spirit of God forbade him to go that way. And so he wound up going over the coast and then going up across the Aegean Sea to Philippi and coming around to Thessalonica and Corinth and all that. Before he got to Philippi, he came to Galatia. We don't know a whole lot about um, the churches in Galatia. I can only find two different references in Acts um, where it's mentioned at all. And so it was Acts chapter 16 and 6. Um, and again, just that scene I told you about where they were um, not allowed to go um, where they thought they were supposed to go, which was in, into Asia. He had just picked up um, young Timothy, right? He's now traveling with him. And they were um, gone through the region of Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbid forbidden to go to the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And from there, they'd wind up going over to Troas, which was the port city that would lead them to go over to Philippi. But that's it. That's right there. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, <laughs> all right, that's their first trip into the land. You don't meet anybody there. You don't know what's going on. But Galatia is a pretty good region. And the letter addresses itself to the churches there. And so you've got multiple peoples um, spread out over the land. So you may have some Jewish folks who had converted to Christianity, right, who were followers of Christ. You may have some Gentiles who had converted to Judaism as proselytes who then converted to Christianity. And some you have just Gentiles who went from worshiping idols to worshiping Jesus. Um, so you've got a range of folks there that could be addressed. The only other reference we find is in Acts chapter 18, and I think it's verse 23. He's uh, coming back and heading towards uh, Jerusalem. He went back to the church at Antioch in verse 22, so Acts 18, 22. He'd gone to Caesarea and gone back to his home church there in Antioch. And after he'd spent some time there, he departed and went all over the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. All right? That's his second vision, visit. He was there twice that we know of, um, but we don't have a lot of details about what went on. And so what we're really limited to um, is the details we can glean from the book, uh, the letter itself. Um, so we'll just jump into chapter 1 and we'll see what we can can pick up. Galatians, letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul was an apostle. Again, definitions are important. Apostle is one who was specially chosen by God to be a witness of Jesus resurrected. All right? And I've mentioned this a couple times. If you see somebody who's got an apostle out on their church out front, they're claiming that, that they got an apostle preaching there. That means he's claiming that he has seen Jesus bodily and that God himself appointed him to be a special witness. According to Scripture, I only know of 14. you got the original 12, Judas who 
um, fell and was replaced by Matthias in the early chapters of Acts. And then later, Paul described himself as one being born out of time. Um, those are your apostles. Those are the ones who were chosen by God, not of men. Men didn't make him an apostle. He's not an apostle of men or of what they said. He was sent by God with a message by God. And that's really the theme of this letter is that the gospel is a message from God. Men didn't create it. Right? And so when men try to change it, you need to be on your guard. Okay? The Galatian church, well, I'll just, I'll just give away the ball here. The Galatian church had departed from the truth. All right? They had had people come in and say, well, yeah, Jesus is good, but you need to do this. Well, you, you need to be circumcised. So these people were folks who were under the Old Testament law as Jews, and they thought, well, Jesus is good, but you, you need to do something else too. If you want to be saved, you have to be circumcised. And then there'll be others who say, well, yeah, you've got to keep the law uh, in addition to being circumcised. You know, it's just one thing. And, um, but Jesus wasn't enough, right? And so they departed from that truth, and they'd started to add in these layers, um, whether they were Jews or not, whether they had ever been subject to it. Most likely they hadn't. Um, and they're burdening themselves on with these chains, but they're allowing this gospel, which is not really another gospel, as I was going to describe, to distort the truth. All right? So he's an apostle, not of men. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what he speaks of. That's the witness of, that he is of Jesus Christ and resurrected. Not of men, neither by man. Men didn't choose him out and say, hey, you're going to be an apostle. Right? But by, by who? By Jesus Christ. Right, the Messiah. God saves. Jesus, Jehovah, saves Christ the Messiah. And God the Father, who raised him from the dead. That's who appointed Paul to be an apostle. All right, that's who the writer is. And all the brethren which are with me. All right, so this is a time when Paul's not alone. That's a small clue. We know that at some points when he is uh, in bonds, that it said that you know, everyone has departed him. So right at this point, he's got some folks with, me, with him as he's writing. And so when you see in this letter, he's going to use the plural pronoun of we. That's why. You say, well, that's not a big deal. No, but it helps you understand why is he writing with we instead of I. All, right. All the brethren that are with me unto the churches of Galatia. All right. Galatia is described in Acts as being a region. All right. So you know, this is Tifton's a city. You've got Tiff County. You know, region would be more like South Georgia. All right, got a whole bunch of territory covered, different folks, different nationalities, but it's the churches of Galatia. Right. And as most of Paul's letters, he starts off with praying that the Lord will bless them with grace and peace. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. Grace is the pure favor of God. Do you need the pure favor of God? You better believe it. Is that a good thing to pray for yourself and for others? Yes. You can't mess up with that. Sometimes we mess up in our prayers, right? Sometimes we ask for the wrong thing. Um, sometimes we get pig-headed, and sometimes, I'll, I'll say, sometimes I get pig-headed, and I try to tell God uh, what it is that He ought to do that I think I want. Um, but you can't go wrong with just praying for the Lord's grace and the Lord's peace. Whatever that looks like coming from Him, that's going to be just right, right? Grace be to you and peace. What's the source? From God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. From that Lord, that word's Master. Curios, over the whole universe. He's our Lord. He's who we report to. Grace and peace come from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself 
for our sins, referring to Jesus Christ here, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That delivering us from the present evil world, that's kind of foreshadowing for the rest of this book, right? Because these churches in Galatia have allowed themselves to be entangled with the things of this world and trying to please men and having people among them who wanted to make a show over them. They came in and I'm going to teach you a new way and you're going to follow me and I'm going to say, look, look what I did. I've got these, these followers under me, right? That's the present evil world part of it that we've been delivered from. And so they're, they're again trying to um, ensnare themselves or they have been ensnared and he's, he's reminding them Jesus has delivered us from that. He's the one. He's the focus. What's the central message of all the epistles? Jesus Christ. Focus back on him. Remind you of him and what he's done. To whom be glory forever and ever. Is there ever a time when Jesus is not going to be worthy of glory? Is there ever a time in your day when you don't give him glory? Is there a problem with that? Me too. Mm -hmm. All right. So unlike most of Paul's letters, he just jumps right into it. There's not much beating around the bush here. It's, it's verse 6, I marvel. I'm shocked. I'm in awe that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now you may think, who's the him that called you? Paul came and preached to him. That's not talking about Paul. Look over there in verse 15. It says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace. This is Paul talking about his own testimony. You've got both a, a natural birth. Who caused you to be separated from your mother's womb? God. You were born into this world. God caused it. God allows it, right? Natural birth. And called me by his grace. That's referring to your spiritual birth. And we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between Paul before he was born again and after. That's what a lot of this is he's going to use to lay his argument out there. But the operative actor there is God. Did you have any hand in volunteering to be born? Right? Do you sign up? Yes, mother, I accept to be delivered today. No, you had no hand in that, right? God gets the credit. Life is created. God gets it both in natural and in spiritual sense. God called me. So, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So you're removed. You're, you've stepped away from God all right, and from his truth. He called you into the grace of Christ, the favor of Christ. And the beauty of the grace is that it's unmerited. right? You can't earn grace. If grace was based on what you earned, then it would be a debt. God would owe you. Can you look at God in the face and say, you owe me anything? No, right? Grace, it's unmerited favor. You have stepped away from that grace of Christ, that unmerited favor, the truth of Christ, unto another gospel. Another, and a gospel means good news. You've gone to another set of good news. And he says, which is not another. There's really only one good news. So our best understanding... But it's contained in this, all right? And this is what we try and teach and preach. But there are distortions of it. It says it's not really another gospel, all right? But there are some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel, to distort, to twist, okay? 
Is there a danger in people twisting the gospel still today? Yeah. All right. He's going to give them an admonition. He says, but though we... We'll just, I'm just going to leave that next portion out and go to the next, but leave out the opposite. But though we preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. Paul says, if I came back to Galatia and I taught you something different than what I had taught you the first time, let me be accursed or anybody that was with me. All right? That's a pretty significant statement, right? He said, what's set down the first time is right and true. If I tell you anything different, don't believe me. Don't believe anybody that's with me. And it gets worse. It says, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. All right. Would you all like to take a gander at some of the religions that have started based on a, an angelic revelation? 700 years after this was written, an angel apparently, purportedly, appeared to Muhammad. Okay? He bases his writings and being a prophet off of an angel, I think Gabriel, who he tribes to, that supposedly an angel came and told a different gospel to Muhammad. That's where Islam came from. 700 years later, is that a different gospel told by an angel? Yeah. All right. How about jump forward into the 1800s? Uh, 1830s, you got, uh, what's his name? Joseph, whoever. Smith, yeah. He had a vision of an angel, got some golden tablets, right? And from there you've got Mormons, right? Very different versions. God is reduced, Jesus is reduced, he's no longer a deity, he's just a good guy, or he's a god, whatever it is. That's 1830s. We're not real far removed from that one, but... 1,800 years after this is written, the warning of letting any other gospel, even if it's an angel comes and tells you differently, don't listen. Um, there's another one. What was it? Um, I had a little note on my side, but I can't, can't read it. Hmm. Islam. Jehovah's Witnesses, 1870s. Same thing. There was an angel who came and gave them some information. And then later, apparently in 1914, the angel came in and checked on their headquarters in New York. So they were doing a good job, right? You say, well, why are you, why are you bashing these other religious groups? I'm saying because they didn't heed a warning that was given 2,000 years ago. That if anyone comes and teaches a different gospel, it's not another gospel. And an angel can't trump what's already been given, right? Are there dangers of this today? Yes. Yes. There are people that I know and love who are sucked in to another gospel right now. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. Right? That's some strong language. To be accursed, to be cast out, to be anathema, if you've ever heard that term. See, so that is... It's dangerous to lie about God's Son. All right? It's dangerous to be up here and try my best to preach the truth. It's really dangerous to make up stories. Okay? 
particularly when they're doing it for their own pride and ego and vanity. So whether it's we or an angel, and then verse 9, you may wonder, why does he repeat himself? So as we said before, so say we now again, if any preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, that you've already heard and already been taught, let him be accursed. He says there is nobody that you can hear from that can change what Jesus Christ has done. You've already heard the truth. So anybody who talks, whether it's me, if I come myself, or an angel comes, you have this purported vision, or somebody claiming to have a vision, or um, anybody else, right? That's a very broad category, right? Anybody teaching you anything differently than what's already been laid down, let them be accursed, all right? So the idea is that Paul had been there. We know he'd gone twice. We don't know how long he was there. It doesn't give us much details, but we know he taught them the truth. And later he'd come back and he checked on them and he'd strengthen them and he reminded them and it's the same thing he taught, right? And sometime after that, someone else had come in. Probably a bunch of somebodies because he's not just writing to this to one church. This is a problem that had affected the whole region. And he's saying, I am marveled. I'm amazed that you have so quickly departed from the truth and have gone after this, this strange gospel. And he gives them this rule. He says, if anybody teaches you anything different than what you've heard, let them be accursed. So, does the good news of Jesus Christ change from century to century? No. So if we have a new religion that starts this year, you want to know there's a problem with it? It's not from God. Fair enough. We believe that the Word is the inspired Word of God. This is our standard. This is what we might measure everything by. And so that allows you Y'all, that allows you to save a lot of heartache. And do I have to trust and see what are all the various problems with, with, with Islam or with Jehovah's Witness? Do I have to go and sort all that out? No, it doesn't make this basic test. It's something that's been created after. Now, if you've got someone you know and love who's in that and you want to get into the weeds and show them the difference in truth, that's fine. That's great. But don't feel like you have to justify it to yourself because it doesn't meet this basic test. Has it been a change from what was laid down 2,000 years ago? All right? Verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Question. Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. All right? Paul is setting the stage here. All right? I've came and I taught and I was coming to persuade you as men of the truth. I'm not trying to persuade God of something. If I'm making up something new and different than what was laid down, who am I trying to convince? I'm trying to convince God himself that I'm right. You going to have any luck with that argument? No. All right? So I'm coming here to persuade you of this is the truth because I'm not interested in trying to please men. Right? Those who came in after Paul... The, the, the thing with, with Judaizers is that they wanted, um, they wanted their cake and eat it too, right? They liked the idea of Jesus, but they didn't want to have any of the reproach that came with it. So for a, a natural Jew to be a follower of Christ, there was a lot of scorn that was heaped upon him, right? He, he could lose his, his job. He could lose his house. He could lose you know, everything. He could be cast out of his home city. He could be you know, arrested, stoned to death. 
These are all the consequences of being a follower of Christ. So if I like the idea of Christ, but I don't really want all of the baggage, well, what if I just kind of change it a little bit, right? I'll take away some of the problematic portions that they don't like. Well, you're not keeping the law anymore. Well, because Jesus has fulfilled the law, there's no reason to. But, but if I just do it anyway and tell other people to, then they won't have a problem with me, right? It's taking what was pure and true and making kind of a mongrel hybrid because I don't want to offend or upset anybody or have any hardship. Okay? Paul says, my role's not here to please you, right? I've got to stand or fall before God. Y'all, that's my same role here. I love you. I love each of you. But if I was more concerned about hurting your feelings than speaking the truth, I ain't doing you a lick of good. And when I got to stand before God, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> right? So my job here is not to please your opinions. Well, I can't say that because that'll upset so-and-so. Maybe so-and-so needs to be upset. Right? Often, the things we want to hear least are the things that we're most struggling with and the Lord's using it to convict us. Right? Neither here nor there. All right. If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So can you be effective as a servant of Christ if you are trying to do things just to be seen and please men? No. Because what are you... In essence, when you're doing that, you're saying these men's opinions outrank Christ's. Right? What did the world think of Christ? They hated him. They, they killed him. And he warned them that if you're going to follow me and you're going to be my servant, don't be surprised if the world hates you too. Okay? So you can't have it both ways. You can't try to please the world and not cause any uh, offense or strife or, or anything that would rub anybody the wrong way and stand for the truth. You can't. Our natural mind, the carnal mind, the flesh, is at enmity with God. That's an irreconcilable hatred. All right? And so there is, when you stand for the truth, that's what will come your way. All right? So now Paul is going to um, justify, amen, he said that he was an apostle not of men or by man, but he was of Jesus Christ, apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who I'm witnessing of. Jesus Christ, and I was appointed by him. He says, For I neither received it, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which I preached is not of me, uh, that which is preached of me, is not after man. He said, The good news that I have, I didn't get from men. Men didn't make it up. All right, and that's key. That's, that's, that's the difference between the Word of God and all other writings of men. The source and origin of those is just men. That's why they contradict each other. That's why they're so wildly disparate, um, diasporate. It says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man, for neither I received it of man, neither was I taught it. He said, Man didn't give it to me. I didn't have a teacher of, of men who taught me that gospel, but it was it was a miraculous, what? Well, it was a, a revelation. God revealed it to him, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right? And then he goes to tell his story. All right? Y'all know what Paul's name used to be? Saul. All right? Saul was a very good Jew. Okay? Um, if you read back in Acts, there's about three different accounts on different occasions he's telling his story. And I'll try to just summarize, though. He grew up in a town called Tarsus. 
the region of Cilicia, but he went down to Jerusalem and he was raised up under the feet of a very uh, well-respected Pharisee, um, a master of the Sanhedrin whose name was Gamaliel. Um, he's the one who's there talking when the apostles are there being persecuted, and he's giving them some pretty sound advice. This was no dumb man, right? And Paul was able to excel in the religion of being a Jew, right? He was able to look the part. He thought he was keeping the law and that he was clean and that he was righteous. And anyone who wasn't living up to that standard, well, they're awful. And there are these people over here who are following that guy from Nazareth that I'd heard about. You know, one of their first deacons, uh, Stephen, he, he talked about that guy and it just made us so angry that we just had to stone him right then and there. Now, Paul was very young at that point, Saul at this point, and so his job was to hold the coats of everybody while they're chunking stones at him and killed him, right? That's a rough job to be a deacon, right? So he was there. He, he wasn't actively throwing stones, but he was consenting, consenting unto your death. And so you can read here in verse 13, it says, for, I ha for ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure... I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. So if you had the respect of men, if you wanted to have that, that's what he said. That's what he had. He looked good. He looked religious. He looked pious and pure. He was, he was kicking butt, right? And then there's people over here that just so offended him that they existed, he was willing to go and travel like okay y'all ever been so animate about something that you're going to leave your city and go gripe about it all right you're going to go leave your state and gripe about it right israel though a country under military law was still a country when when paul left to go to damascus that's like going to canada to go take out people that disagree with you okay so he left to go to a whole other country to take folks who were supposed to be worshiping God in the way that he thought proper and to go arrest them, to throw them in jail, and to be giving his voice of saying, yeah, they're heretics. Put them to death. He was consenting to that. This is the man that God chose to be a very effective preacher for many, many, many years. But what did he start from? He started from a guy who was basically blowing up churches. Right? If he's coming into your church, you're going out in chains. If he's coming into your house where you're having a secret prayer meeting, you know, grandma's getting hauled off. He didn't care if it was men or women. And I'm summarizing. You can see this in Acts 26 and 22 and 9 to see these various accounts of what he's saying he did, that he would go into houses and drag people out, men and women, and put them to jail, and then he would be giving his voice to condemn them to death. Right? Y'all ever feel unworthy to be in church? You feel like I've just done too much? Yeah, the sins that you've done are wrong. But I'd be willing to bet nobody of you has murdered a Christian because he was a Christian. And yet, what was Paul able to use this What was God able to use this man for? Exactly what he wanted to. Right? He would spend years and years and years in God's service. So don't use this as a disqualifying excuse. Well, I can't serve God because I've done this. Well, you don't know what I've done, preacher. No, I don't. But the Lord does. And I know the Lord can use 
even one who described himself as chief of sinners, right? Paul would say that. He wasn't using that as a hyperbole, right? Not y'all ever humble bragged, I'm so, right? No. What a conflict that must have felt like. I know what I've done. I know how I have destroyed this church. And yet here, the leader of this church has called me out. And all I can say is, what would you have me to do? Right? And he did. And so, as Paul you know, had been destroying the church there and the great persecutions going on in Jerusalem, so much that all except for the apostles had, had fled. And so if you've got to go track them down, well, we've got to go a little farther. And so you've got a, you know, a couple hundred miles up to Damascus from Jerusalem. All right? And so he's going, he's got letters of authority from the high priest to go, if you find any of these folks who claim to follow this, this nut, Jesus, right? They thought he was a quack, right? You go and you arrest them and you bring them back and we'll deal with them here. Right? And so as he's on the way there, that's when there is described as a bright, shining light, brighter than the noonday sun, and it said it was all around him. And he, he was with a group of folks and they all just hit their faces to the ground. All right? And then there was a voice. I said in one portion the people around him couldn't hear the voice. Another portion said that they did hear the voice. So my guess is they heard something, but they didn't understand it intelligently the way that Paul did. And so I want to look at that um, and and just read um, exactly what Christ was saying. Because the longest account of what Jesus says, I think, is in Acts 26. Acts 26, starting in verse 12. Whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw in the way, I'm on the road, a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. That's, that's pretty bright. This is not the sun. This is something so much brighter. It's all around him, shining round about me and then that journey with me. And we were all fallen to the earth. And I heard a voice speaking and saying unto me in the Hebrew tongue, so maybe those around him didn't understand Hebrew. I don't know. But they didn't understand. I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Right? We like to talk about at communion when you do that unto the least. Right? You're doing unto the Lord himself. Right? And you're taking care of his people and you're serving them. You're serving him directly. That's his language. But here when you're persecuting his people... It's an attack on him. Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. All right? So that's the imagery there is that you you got your little ox goad and you're directing the animals and it's just kicking back and it's not doing what it's told. God's about to goad him, so he is going to do exactly what he tells him to do. All right? And so you have this change here from one who had hated Jesus, hated Christ, hated anything about him so much that he was willing to kill his followers... Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Can you imagine his stomach dropping? Uh Uh-oh. I was wrong. What have I done? This person I thought was just a liar. He's here. He's talking to me. The Lord says, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. All right? Was this gospel given to him by men or taught to him by men? No, it was by revelation. So Jesus is saying, I have appeared for this purpose, 
to make thee a minister, a servant, and a witness. That's what the apostle is, a witness of the Jesus, of risen Jesus. Both of the things which thou hast seen, right now, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Jesus would appear to Paul more than once. All right, so you're going to be a witness of what you've seen here, now, and then more to come. Delivering thee from the people. This is what Jesus is going to do. I'm going to deliver thee from the people, as a reference to the Jews, and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. He said, that's going to be your job. I'm sending you unto the Gentiles. The non-Jews, um, there had been uh, very little in means of preaching to Gentiles at this point. Peter would do a little bit. But it would describe later that you know his ministry was to the circumcision, to the Jews. Paul is going to be the one that's being sent out to all the Gentiles. We'll talk about a large mission field. <laughs> all the Gentiles, to whom I will now send thee. And what's your job? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He was going to go and preach the true gospel, that gospel that brings eternal light, eternal life to light. You know, so these are people who were in great darkness still worshiping idols. They weren't even worshiping Jehovah. They were worshiping, you know, bowing down to you know, your Greek gods, your Roman gods, all that's still going on. He's got to go out and say, that's not so. Let me tell you about the real God and his son, Jesus Christ, all right? So that was, that was what he had been called from, all right, to go and to preach his name. So he had profited by that, going back to Galatians. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, that was his charge, to go preach among the Gentiles or heathen, it says, immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. All right? He didn't go down to Jerusalem and says, okay, tell me about this guy. What do I need to know? Right? He didn't go get taught. He went and started preaching. So when he went into Damascus, uh, there was a, an old brother there, Ananias, who the Lord said, you got to go over here and, and visit this man. He currently can't see. Right? He's been blinded from this light. He can't see. Um, go pray for him. And Ananias says, whoa, Lord, I, I've heard about this fellow. I know why he's coming. Surely you don't want me to go help him. And the Lord says, yeah, he's a chosen vessel. I'm, I'm going to show him what great things he's going to suffer for my sake. So Ananias went over there and prayed for him, and his eyes were opened, and Ananias got to the point. He says, What tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. And so before he had, he was fasting on three days where he couldn't see, before he had anything to eat, he arose and he went and baptized. He had some meat and he was strengthened, and he immediately began to go and preach the truth that was revealed to him. This was not a layer upon layer of men teaching other men, of men teaching other men, which is how all these new religions that you get up and you notice they'll change from year to year. You know, as you get a new leader in, well, I can change the authority based on them. And you've got these different prophets and layers or whatever. It's just this constantly shifting thing as opposed to that which is static, that which is secure, that which is steadfast, right? Everything else is sinking sand and shifting, right? This is the rock that doesn't move. So he, God called me by his grace, and he did. He used him. He took the biggest enemy or one of the biggest enemies of the church and turned him into one of the greatest advocates, all right? It says, he revealed to me, I conferred not in up with flesh and blood, 
Neither went I up to Jerusalem, right? He's up in Damascus. He's several hundred miles away. What do I do? Do I go down to Jerusalem and go learn? Nope. He just goes and starts preaching because he had a message that was given to him by Jesus Christ himself, all right? And that was of Jesus Christ. Neither went I up to Jerusalem um, to them which were apostles before me. So the remaining apostles who were still there at Jerusalem, um, you know, those that hadn't been killed yet, um, he said, I didn't go talk to them, but I went into Arabia and returned into Damascus. So he's, you know, Arabia is the region around Damascus. It says he went and preached in all the synagogues. And so he's going around and teaching everybody that he can get gathered together. He's teaching them, this is Jesus Christ. I was wrong. <laughs> this is Lord, all right? He is the Son of God. He did die for our sins. He is enough, right? It says, then after that, I returned to Damascus. And you know why I had to leave Damascus? They were going to kill him, Right? How's your time as a preacher going? Well, no one's tried to kill me yet. I may not be doing my job yet, right? But within three years' time, he had had enough enemies that the folks that uh, knew him and cared for him, they had to let him down over the wall in a basket because they were guarding the gate, right? You got a gate around the city, one way in and out. It's kind of in a, easier to see your enemy. So when he comes out, you take him out, right? They knew about that plot, and so they had to chunk him over the wall, not chunk him, but put him in a basket and gently lower him over the wall so he could flee Damascus, right? So that was after three years. He says, then I went down to Jerusalem. He says, only there for 15 days, right? And he saw Peter while I was there. I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days, but other the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. So again, the idea is that I didn't learn this from men. When I started preaching, I didn't go off to school somewhere. I went and I preached, and then when I got run out of town because they were trying to kill me and I went down to Jerusalem for a little visit, I was only there three weeks. You know why he had to leave Jerusalem? They were going to kill him there too, <laughs> right? And they wind up with sending him back to um, his hometown in Tarsus. You go hang out there for a while, <laughs> all right? Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. He's saying, I, I mean, this is, this is a solemn oath that he's saying. This which I've just written unto you, that I didn't hear this of men, I wasn't taught of men, I was revealed it by Jesus Christ, I went and preached, and I didn't go to Jerusalem, but for that, he said, I am swearing before God, God is the witness, that I am not lying to you. Okay? Afterward, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So when I say he went back to Tarsus, right? Cilicia is the region around Tarsus, and that's where he was preaching for a time. All right, so how long has he been preaching at this point? Over three years, right? Three years, he's run out of Damascus. Now Jerusalem, a couple weeks, goes back to Cilicia, and he's preaching. That's on the, uh, the, the border of the Mediterranean Sea, so southern Turkey and Cilicia. So you get a map in the back of your Bible that shows Paul's journeys. Those maps aren't completely right. They kind of skip some stuff, um, but still good for general regions, right? He says, uh, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they had heard only that he which had persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Why does God often use the people that he chooses? Because he gets all the glory in it. If you take your worst enemy and make him your greatest advocate, can that enemy say, well, I was right all along. Oh, look at me, I'm so smart. No, it's a complete humbling of, I was wrong. I used all my time, energy, and intellect pursuing the exact wrong thing 
and the Lord squished me like a bug and put me into his service. Right? Who gets all the credit for that? God, right? What's the beauty of the doctrines of grace that we believe is that when we say we're born again, is it because I'm so smart or because I repented or because I did anything? Is it I, 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 I? No, right? It's all God. He gets all the glory of it. When he called me, same way when he called me out of my mother's womb, gave me a natural birth, when he called me out of my state of being dead in trespasses and sins, right? We're all born shaping in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. We come out of the womb speaking lies. That's, y'all, you ever interact with little kids? You don't have to teach them how to lie, all right? Who broke it? Right? It's natural. That's part of our sin nature. It's, it's posterior plating. And it's not me. Right? That's part of our natural sin nature. Right? We're dead in trespasses and sins. And we can thank Adam for that. Right? Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all, for that all have sinned. Is there any sinners in the room this morning? Yes. Yeah. Anybody breathing, you're a sinner. And if you die, guess what? That was evidence of you're a sinner, right? Death is a symptom of sin. That's what great is so great about eternal life is that there is no death anymore because the sin has been taken away, right? The penalty for your sins is paid for by Christ. That's why you can have eternal life with him, right? There's no more death. All right. So those around Judea, Judea the churches around Jerusalem and the southern portion of Israel, Judea, See, they didn't even know me by face. It's not like I had gone through and worked my way up the food chain in the church you know, circuit going here for the association meetings, and now, now I'm a big fish preacher. They, they, all they knew was that guy who was such a pain and terror to us is now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've got to glorify God in that, right? And so it passes forward with time. He says, 14 years later are going to pass before I'm going to go back to Jerusalem again. Right? And again, the message is, I didn't learn it from men. So 14 years later, I had to go up to Jerusalem, me with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. says, I went up by revelation. So the reason he had to go, dealt with they, there was a problem that had come to where he was at in Antioch. Some folks had come and said, Jesus is great, but you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. And that's that's pretty uh, of a direct... Um, quote there what they were saying um, let me go back to Acts and see if I can't find that real quick I think it's Acts 15 yeah Acts 15 and verse 1 so you had some folks who came from down south in Judea and they go up to Antioch which is pretty far north All right, it's outside of Israel and they're teaching men, it says, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. What have they added in to the grace of Jesus Christ? A work, right? A something that you must do or Jesus is ineffective. Is that a new gospel? Do you know that those three that I mentioned, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, and Islam, all are works-based doctrines? If you do this, if you repent, if you do this, if you do enough good works, if you do, if you do, if you do, then you've checked the box and you can earn your way into heaven. All of the perversions of the gospel add in you have to do something and that Christ wasn't enough on his own. Okay? And so there was a dispute. Paul and Barnabas are standing up to these guys 
And so they determined that we're going to go back to Judea, where these guys are from, to get, get some answers. We're going to put this before the other apostles and the elders. Um, and they brought, and they came down to Jerusalem, verse 4. Um, they were received to the church. They declared what all God had done through them. All right, this is Paul and Barnabas telling them, here's what we've done over the last 14 years and all the places that we've gone. But there arose up a certain sect of the Pharisees. You know, so you've got a per- Pharisees, right? This is what Paul used to be. They're now Christians, but their baggage has come with them, right? And so the thing that they were doing before, they're trying to add, it says, it's needful not only to be circumcised, and you have to keep the whole law. Okay? That's a little bit even more. One's just, you know, at least do the, the fleshly cutting. And the other is, oh yeah, and keep everything under the law too. So really, Christ has done nothing. All right? And that was when they had that dispute. And that's what's being referenced here in chapter 2 of Galatia. I went up by revelation... Um, <clears throat> to communicate it unto them, that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. Here's what I taught, um, but privately to them that were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Right? So they're saying, when they came to that town, when they came to Antioch, you must be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul chose one of his traveling companions to go south to deal with the question, go to Jerusalem, is one of his Gentile buddies, Titus, and he wasn't circumcised, and he said when we were there, he wasn't compelled to, right? So if I went to the apostles and all them, and they didn't add that in, do you think it needs to be added in now? Well, why do they have to go? Because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily or privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, right? That idea of adding that layer of the law back on top of Christ. He said, that's the bondage talking about. To whom we gave place by subjection? No, not for one hour. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He said, we stood up to it. We called it for what it was. It was a lie. All right? <clears throat> but of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no doubt matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they seemed to be somewhat, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw the gospel of circumcision, uncircumcision was committed to me as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he had wrought effectively in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. All right. That's a lot of clauses in there. What's he saying? He said, I went and talked to him. Do you know what they added to my gospel? Nothing. And I say it's because they seem to be something. He's like, you know, they, they look to be leaders of the church. He says, but whoever they were, they didn't have any greater authority. It's not like God's not respecting anybody's persons. The revelation that he gave came from God himself. They didn't contradict it, and they didn't add anything to what I needed to be seeking. And rather, they recognized that as God had blessed Peter and preaching to the Jews and being very effective, he had done likewise for Paul to the uh, Gentiles. All right? He had wrought effectively in Peter as he had been mighty to me towards the Gentiles. All right? So when James, Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, right, the stone, um, Cephas, James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave unto me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they to the circumcision. The only thing they asked was that we should remember the poor, which the same I was also forward to do. Again, the whole answer to this, he's given this whole history of saying the revelation, the, the gospel came to me by revelation from God. 
it wasn't taught a minute. It wasn't taught at the very beginning. It wasn't taught to me three years later. It didn't change by men's opinion, even when men from the South tried to change it. Said it stayed the same. All right? And then later, and again, he's recounting this because he's like, I've already dealt with this multiple times. One by an apostle who got messed up. All right? That would be Peter. All right? Peter ever make mistakes? Yeah. Yeah. You and I ever make mistakes? We probably shouldn't be too hard on Peter. <laughs> but Peter came to visit Antioch after this. They had had this whole conference down there in Jerusalem. And they're like, yep, we don't need to add the law to the Gentiles. Don't do it. Um, he comes to visit, and uh, he got off track while he was there. He said, I had to withstand him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, all right, so James is in Jerusalem, so you got some Jews who came to visit, some others who came from Jerusalem. Peter was willing to eat with the Gentiles. Now, under the law, were Jews allowed to eat with Gentiles? No. So if you're keeping the law, you couldn't eat with them. And so here, he had been eating with them, right? But then these other folks from Jerusalem, you know, muckety-mucks or whatever, came into town, and suddenly he's like, whoa, I can't eat with you, right? He withdrew himself and separated himself fearing them that were of the circumcision. So he feared these Jews. Was he trying to be a pleaser of men? Yes. Right? Is that a problem? Yes. And what happened? When you have a leader who goes astray, other folks go astray too. And the other Jews disassembled likewise. Dissembled likewise. Uh, they were disingenuous. It was hypocrisy, right? Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Barnabas! Good old Barnabas! Barnabas who had gone down on that journey with Paul and heard you know, the result of that, even he was fearing to eat with these Gentile friends and brothers, right? It says, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, like this was publicly, this wasn't pulling you aside, this was, you're causing a problem and you're causing others to go astray. It says, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, not keeping the law, right? And not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews, right? You, you're being a hypocrite. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that Christ has freed you from the law and then, oh yeah, well, when it looks bad, I'm going to add the law onto those who are around me. So you, you can't have it that way. It's either we're doing works under the law to prove our righteousness, which you can't do. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to teach you that you're not righteous. There's none who are going to be justified and found to be righteous under the law. So we who are Jews by nature and not sinner of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. He says, we know that. We've lived under that. We can't operate. We can't be successful. You can't be sinless under the law. We know that. And we know that by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. And we know. We know that Jesus Christ is enough. Right? That we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Answers God forbid. The question there is, if we're saying that Christ is enough and our faith in Him is sufficient, if we then try to add in these layers of law, what, are the, what is it going to just reveal? That we're just sinners, right? Is Christ going to be the minister of sin? God forbid, absolutely not. It's showing the lunacy of trying to build those two models back together. Right? 
For if I build again the things which I have destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Under the law, we're transgressors. And so if you try to blend these two together, all you're doing is demonstrating that you by your works can't get there. Okay? For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So in a sense, when you're baptized and you're going into that watery grave, it's like you're going into the grave with Christ. And that law, you're now dead to it. Okay? It's not there as the taskmaster over your head saying that if you don't do this, you're condemned. Right? He's already paid the price for all that. Now, do we live in a way that should glorify God? Absolutely. But we don't do that out of fear of that if I don't do this, it won't be good enough. Christ is sufficient. That's the beauty of grace. It's the beauty of grace is that Christ is is sufficient. His grace is enough, and it doesn't run out. Right? So no matter what you've done leading up to now, you're not disqualified from serving Him going forward, and no matter what you do tomorrow, you cannot remove yourself from His hand. Right? Your eternal salvation is not dependent on upon how well you can check the boxes. Because guess what? We can't check the boxes. We ain't even got the pencil to check the box. Alright? But he is taking care of us. And so we have to be careful to guard this truth. Paul has given them this admonition because the Galatians have left it. They've walked away from it. They've allowed folks to come in and teach something else, and they bought into it. Why, Why might one buy into something that says, if you do this, then you can go to heaven? I think pride... Wouldn't you like to take a little bit of credit for getting to see Jesus? Your old man sure does. We like to have credit, right? We like to have a little bit of backpats, a little bit of accolades. That's why it's so tempting. And how about the people that are trying to convince you of this new thing, of everyone that they get to follow after what they're doing, what do they get? Look at all these people who are following me. The original guy just made it up. There may be people after him who don't know that. But look what we're doing. We're spreading, right? Part of the reason we come to church and we study our word and we listen to preaching is so that we can grow up. When you're born again, you're born a babe in Christ. It means spiritually, you're just starting out. There's some growing up to do. It takes that growing up so that you're not deceived when these things come along. Because it's not going to come out with big red letters that say, I'm here with some heresy. Would you like to buy some? Right? Have some snake oil. No. It's much more subtle than that. Ever heard the expression, a bowl and a frog? Right? It's one degree at a time of heating that water up, and the frog won't hop out. But you just throw him in a bowl of water, he's out there immediately, right? That tends to be how Satan works on these things. A little bit here and a little bit there. And before you know it, you're really far off base. And so the danger for each of us is to be content or complacent 
and not grow up. Right? We don't need to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Right? But we need to be rooted, grounded, regardless of what the world is blowing against you, regardless of what other religions, regardless of whoever, that if it doesn't match up with what the Word of God says, and investigate for yourself. Right? Sometimes we get accused of being a cult. Right? Well, a cult, the leader doesn't want you to investigate for yourself. Right? They want you to listen to them and nobody else. This is what I want you to listen to. Right? Study this. Learn this. Memorize this. Talk about this. What will help you grow? This. Right? And then as you learn, apply it. Right? That can be the harder part. Right? One thing to have a whole bunch of head knowledge, but if you don't put it into your feet and hands, you don't go very far. I know that was a lot of material in a relatively short amount of time. And so we will stop there for today.